When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. How's it going today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast? I'm feeling pretty dreamy today, Dave. How are you doing? Oh, you're feeling dreamy because we're outside, uh, we're frolicking, and uh, we did the podcast outdoors today, sort of. We are in the garage. Welcome to the garage, Holly. So we're not just doing it outdoors. We are in person, live and in person, with an in-person guest. Yes, and who might that guest be, Holly? So our guest today is Emil Spolder, the director, editor, writer of the documentary. How did we find ourselves here? A documentary about the Dream Syndicate. And we are going to learn all about the process of what went down to make this happen. Like every artistic venture, there's ups and downs. And so we get all up in that. <laughs> Listen, hear what Emil has to say, and then go watch the film. Yeah. Don't give up on your projects, people. Just keep going. It's what we do here. We, we keep it going and see what happens. You never know. We talk with Emil about everything and like making a music documentary, there's a lot of unused footage. You know, we don't have a, a DVD to put all these extras on. So what do we have where someone might listen to part of our interview that did not make the cut for this podcast episode? You mean like added value? Added value, yes. Except we don't charge you for it. And where might they find that? Our added value is just that. You are getting added value for the price of the podcast. You can find us on social media at WDDIM Podcast. And our YouTube channel will have outtakes of our chat with Emil at What Difference Does It Make Podcast. Why don't we just get right into it? Because it's such a beautiful day. Uh, and please excuse, you will hear birds and you will hear jackhammers and you will hear airplanes. It's all part of the fun, outdoorsy vibe that we have here at the What Difference Does It Make podcast. So let's get right into it with Emil Spolder. The director of How Did We Find Ourselves Here? A documentary about the Dream Syndicate. Welcome. Thank you for doing this in person. Thanks for having me. What brought you to Los Angeles? Actually, we were supposed to be here, and when I say we, I'm talking about me and my girlfriend, Joka. <laughs> we were supposed to be here last year to do interviews for my documentary about the Dream Syndicate, but I was not allowed into the United States uh, because I had problems with my visa. Uh, I traveled the world in the years before, and I also traveled to Iran, and that's a huge red flag. Oh. So I had to go to the embassy first to prove uh, I'm not a terrorist, but the waiting time was eight months. What, it, what was in Iran? That's interesting. I, let's hear a little bit about that story. Well, yeah, it, it's a really interesting country to travel around. Mm. The, the culture is so different and the food is different. And it, it, I think it's probably some of the friendliest people I've ever met Almost everyone you talk to, or of, co of course everyone is interested in talking to you, especially when you're a blonde guy. Mm. Some people have actually never seen a blonde, tall person in their <laughs> lives. So they all want to take pictures with you and they invite <laughs> oh. you over to their 
homes to have dinner with them. It's such a culture shock when you arrive in Tehran, the capital city of the country. It, it was definitely worth going there, just meeting the people, uh, traveling through the desert. Um, but the visa thing was... <laughs> was quite a huge <laughs> frustration afterwards. If you had known that you were going to be prohibited from entering the U.S., would you have... It sounds like you still would have done it. No, definitely oh. not. No. Only Cause, cause, yeah, this was really important because you... Yeah. Yeah, to get but, this uh, moving. Um, I believe the new rules, they are there since 2017. Mm. Uh, and I've traveled Iran in 2016, so I didn't even know about it. The rules did not exist yet. <laughs> Oh, wow. Did you go just for, for fun? I mean, yeah, just, just, to, just to see the country? Oh, yeah. That's, that's great. That's, I, it looks beautiful. I mean, it look, the people look warm and... and I can definitely recommend it. Yeah. Uh, I've had some Iranian friends, and they always invite you over to have some coffee, and that's like that's their thing. It's very, yeah, they're very open and friendly. It, yeah. I love <laughs> the Iranians that I've met have been wonderful. But yeah, I guess that is kind of a, a red flag at times. Okay, so you did. You finally made it to Los Angeles. So welcome to the United States. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> why don't you explain why you, you came to the United States at this particular moment and what you're promoting? Yeah, I've made a, a documentary about the band The Dream Syndicate from Los Angeles. They started here in 1981. Please welcome Dream Syndicate. We were all so tired of this nervous, hyper-formulated music that was going on. We just wanted to get lost in sound and repetition. The 80s were brutal. It was the age of Madonna. We knew we would be our own favorite band. That's what it came down to. A lot of noise, actually, but it was really, really good. It was fantastic. It was like dark, moody, psychedelic, jammy. The word from outside is she's on the legend. I've been working on this documentary for a little bit more than 10 years. The first U.S. screening of the documentary was last Saturday, May 6th. Well, it, it actually was a nice coincidence. We were, since I wasn't allowed into the States last year, I still had a lot of vouchers from the flights. Mm. And, um, so we were coming over here anyways. And so it was a nice coincidence. They uh, booked a screening for the movie and... We were going to be here, so that's wonderful. Oh, that's convenient. That I, I yeah. assumed you were coming for the for for the screening. No, no, oh. it actually worked out that way. The screening was supposed to be in February and it was postponed. So and it was outdoors too. I it saw was outdoors. That, yeah. <laughs> it was like a, yeah, in someone's backyard. Who hosted this party and what? What? How did it become like an outdoor party um, screening? I, don't actually know the real story behind it. I know who hosted it. His name is Paul Rock from the Wild Honey Foundation. All the money is going to be used for that's charity. Charity. Yeah, yeah. Oh. that's the word I was looking for. He's friends with the band for very long, and uh, this this guy who's friends with the band and with uh, working for the record company Pat Thomas, I believe he organized the the screening, and. Also, two of the original band members, Steve Wynn and Dennis Duck, yep. were at the pr at the screening. And was that the first time you, you ran into Steve? And, and uh, do you call him Duck or do you just call him De <laughs> Dennis? You call just him Dennis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Was he that the first? Another last name. Yeah. That's his real last name. Everyone calls him Dennis Duck, though, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Uh, was that the first time you'd seen them since the since you filmed them? No, 
No, I did not. Since I'm originally from Amsterdam, mm -hmm. uh, the band was touring Europe last October, and then the documentary was already finished. And we booked a screening in Amsterdam at the end of the tour. So it was also Steve Wynn and Dennis oh. Duck. They were also there at the, the Dutch premiere of the movie. Which uh, you were obviously there for. But how, yeah. Dream Syndicate, why? Yeah, what's your origin story? Yeah. <laughs> your origin story for Dream Syndicate. It all started in uh, 2003 at the famous Paradiso in Amsterdam, this concert venue. I was 19 at the moment and I was a huge Ryan Adams fan. And it was my first time seeing Ryan Adams perform. I was very excited going there. But it was Steve Wynn and the Miracle 3 mm -hmm. opening for Ryan Adams. And the opening band was either equally as good or maybe even better than the main act. So I was very impressed with the band and started following Steve Wynn in the years after. Mm. And after shows, he's uh, usually performing in the, the smaller concert venues around Europe, two, three hundred seat places. And after the shows, he's always very approachable and you can mm -hmm. talk to him at merch stand. So I talked to him quite a few times after the shows and I also had um, a music television show at a local TV station called Music in the Backyard. This helped me to get in touch with a lot of musicians and also Steve Wynn. So once in 2009, when I was living in the, uh, uh, Los Angeles for a year, I was studying film here. The first week I was here, uh, Steve Wynn was performing at the Troubadour with his band, The Baseball Project. He has this band together oh, with... My favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I love those guys. Yeah. His fans, the band together with his wife, Linda Pittman, and the guys from R.E.M. Who I love. I, so I have Linda on my shirt. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> the filthy go. French walked uh, right into Steve Wynn, and he recognized <laughs> me, and he introduced me to his friends and family who were also at the show, since he's originally from Los yeah. Angeles. And I started talking to his friends, and at a certain moment, uh, I was talking to his mom, and <laughs> I told her I was uh, starting film school here in a few weeks, and she just said it at a certain point, well, would it be nice if someone ever makes a movie about my son? And in the coming weeks, I started thinking about it. It always was my dream to make a music documentary. I've been working at television for already for quite a few years, but being a huge fan of music docu documentaries and for quite a few years, I made it my mission to see every music documentary out there. And this seemed like a really interesting subject. And Steve seemed to be pretty down with the idea. So it, it took a few years I, since I was still, I was mid-20s, just starting out. I was asking around if it was possible to maybe get some funding anywhere, but... That seemed to be too hard. Yeah. So I just started out in 2012. Uh, well, I'll just pay for it myself. This, I really want to do this project. And I want to meet all these musicians and hear their stories. So the first interview was actually Ryan Adams. <laughs> I, I really didn't think this would happen. I just emailed his management and told him about this project. And they said, sure. And it's, 
That's go, amazing. Go meet him and interview him. Well, well this, this is going to be easy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which in the end, it, it wasn't. But yeah, 10 years later, right? 10 years later. <laughs> but it was a really nice start. So a year later, I booked a flight with a, a friend from film school to the United States and talked to all the band members. Mm. Well, everyone affiliated to the band. That was the start of this project until I got back home. Oh, one, one thing that I should mention, it actually, back then the idea was that it should be a film about Steve Wynn, his whole career. At that point, uh, a 30-year-long career. First the Dream Syndicate in the 80s, then his solo career in the 90s. And of course the baseball project, but also the Miracle 3 and all these other bands that he has done, which I thought at the time would be very interesting story, which it is. But once I started editing the 40, 50 hours of interviews I already had, after a couple of months, I started thinking, oh my God, what, what, <laughs> what am I doing? This is so much. How can I get a coherent story out of this? It's just a great band over here, great music over there. How can I get a decent storyline, mm. which will be interesting for the whole duration of the movie. So I kind of got stuck there for quite a few years until the Dream Syndicate started recording actual uh, a new album. Mm. They re reunited in uh, 2012. For those who don't know, the Dream Syndicate were there from 1981 until 1988. And then they broke up and they got together in 2012 again. But for quite a few years, they were only playing the old songs. In 2017, they recorded their first album with the reunited band. And Steve got back in touch with me, like, hey, w what's happening with the movie? I didn't hear from you for quite a few years. And I have to admit, for all those years, it became one of those things. People, friends ask me about it. So what's happening with this documentary? And I always responded, yeah, I really don't know. I, I, I don't know what to do with this project. I started it, but I don't know how to finish it. Mm -hmm. And so once Steve got back in touch with me and I was sure that he was still uh, having my back on this project. Mm -hmm. I started thinking about how to actually finish it and what would be the new approach. And yeah. all of a sudden it came to me, of course, it shouldn't be about his whole career. It, sh it should be about the just the Dream Syndicate. And over the years, the story became even more interesting because they started recording more albums, which just surprised everyone mm -hmm. all over again. Each album they released with the reunion was just had a new musical approach. It was still the dream syndicate, recognizable as a dream syndicate, but very surprising every time what they yeah. came up with. So it was a really interesting story. Mm -hmm. And there once was a story which had, well, actually uh, there were highs and, low <laughs> and lows and a real evaluation in the music that they were creating. So all of a sudden there was a story mm. which was interesting enough to create a movie which wasn't four hours long <laughs> to cover everything that Steve did. It's so interesting because people, probably the core audience for this movie will be people who were fans of Dream Syndicate back in the 80s. Yes. It's great that they're still making music and, and really good music, but that you were not a fan in the 80s of their original. I, I just assume, I think we all assume when someone makes it, it's like a passion project that you were an original fan. So that's really interesting that you came to them later, came to him later. Yes, 
yeah, yeah. I, I, I discovered the Dream Syndicate through Steve's solo work with his, his solo band, uh, mm. The Miracle Three. They were covering a lot of the Dream Syndicate material. So I've, I've heard a lot of it live. And because of this, I started discovering all, yeah. all the music they did in the 80s. Yeah, and like all bands, there's players that come in and, yeah. and leave and, you know, new guitarist comes in and uh you know brings some sort of uh new direction to the band although they're they're still the steve win through line yeah do you have a favorite era oh that's a tough question <laughs> <laughs> well first answer that comes to my mind is a paul b cutler era from the top of my mind i would say from 84 to 88 he's just such a fascinating guitar player mm-hmm. uh, i i love all the other players but I'm just so amazed every time when I see him play, watch him, see him play on video because he's, he's not doing this anymore. She wakes up all alone, remembers something about a ball from grace. Looks into the mirror, laughs and pulls the hair out of her face. The phone is on the hook and the door counts one more, more time. Ah, oh, yeah. Definitely she tries to go back to the scene of the crime. But now on her knees, she stops. So did you immediately go back? What was your process in which you became familiar with them? Did you start at the beginning for yourself and for separately for the film? For myself, I started yeah with the album that they recorded, Static Transmission, in 2003. When I first saw them, that was the first album that I heard, which for everyone who's listening, this album has one of the standout tracks that everyone who likes guitar music should hear <laughs> amphetamine if you don't like that song then steve Wynn is probably not for <laughs> you <laughs> on the seventh hour of the seventh day the seventh song was looking for a seventh day's getaway the wood came down from a blinding light You got one chance, baby, baby, baby Better do it right Well, I was driving down On the 101 It was late at night And I was thinking about the things I'd done All of my regrets And, baby, all of my fears I was slipping the car From gear to gear to gear uh, so yeah, after this, uh, I, s- I started, yeah, for the first few years, probably chronologically, I, I learned about his music. And then after a while, I started going back in time, hearing older songs on his live shows. Um, yeah, that's how I discovered his music. And there was a lot to discover. Mm, yeah, he's, he's very prolific. Such such a prolific <laughs> songwriter and mm-hmm. musician. And and did you come to L.A. and do like a... like? see where they you know a lot of these interviews where were they conducted was was it in los angeles 
a lot of them. Most re- um, interviews were recorded actually where the musicians are living at the moment. Okay, so you had uh, to travel all over. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, Steve is living in New York right now. Dennis is still living here in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. Jason is also in New York, and Mark is living in Las uh, Las Vegas at the moment. So it was it was a nice road trip <laughs> to see everyone, and of course all the affiliates to the band. So actually, when I was watching your film, there was a guy, Tom Grasick. I saw him like, why do I know this guy? He works at Freakbeat Records, yeah. which is right here. It's like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> I see this guy. I saw him last month. You know, like anytime I, he's always at Freakbeat Records. So that was, uh, that was kind of interesting. They're like, oh, I know this guy. That's funny. Yeah. So he was, you really started at the, because he, he was the PD at the college radio station in Davis that yes. Steve Wynn went to and, you know, worked at. Uh, Yeah, he was very important. According to Steve, he was a very important uh, person in Steve's musical journey. Steve got introduced to a lot of bands in around 1977-ish because Tom Grasick at UC Davis, they were both studying there, working at College Radio Station. So yeah, he was a very important person in yeah, and you filmed it at Freak Beat. At Freak so, so you've been, yeah. so you you recognize this area, kind of. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about Kendra? That was. It seemed like uh, it was only through phone interviews. Is she just uh, couldn't lock down Kendra on you film? Could, uh, she kind of see from from what you what we saw in the film. She looked almost like she dropped out of. You said she went to live in the in the woods somewhere. Yes. Yeah. But then so. I saw that she's also making music. She's still playing with bands. I don't exactly know what she's doing at the moment, but I know from the Bam Hammer she is living somewhere in the northern part of California. And I would have loved to interview her on camera, but her friend and manager, Pat Thomas, mm-hmm. uh, he told me that it's just not going to happen. But I have this telephone interview for you uh, that you can use in the movie, which I was very happy with because she's such a, an important part in the... well. Basically, only the early, the early year, <laughs> the first year mm-hmm, right. of the band. But she was a very important part of their sound. So I'm, I'm glad, I, even though it's only audio, she's still in the movie. But this interview wasn't conducted by you. This was just an, an older interview that, that the manager had that you were able to From use? From what I believe, June 23, the 40th anniversary box set of the Days of Wine and Roses, right, the first yeah, album of the band is going to be coming out, and it has a very nice booklet inside. And Pat oh. Thomas interviewed all the band members to make yeah, a nice story, a nice uh, book that comes with yeah, because she's, I mean, I, I love the band Opal. She she is kind of a, an enigma. I'm not sure, you know, and maybe it's because she doesn't like to talk to the press or media about anything. She just wants to play that her, play her yeah. music and then yeah. just step back and, you know. Yeah, because you never got to see her perform. You've never seen her on stage before. I did not, even though she performed with the band, I believe, in 2017 for two shows mm-hmm. at Leaf El Rey in Los Angeles yeah. and uh, in San Francisco, but I wasn't around. Yeah. <laughs> we are talking to Emil Spolder, the director for How Do We Find Ourselves Here about the Dream Syndicate. The time has come for us to take a break, and we will do that right now. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. 
And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. And we're back on the What Difference Does It Make podcast with our guest, Emil Spolder. In your opinion, having now done all this research, I don't want to say meteoric, but their really quick rise to fame, what do you think was the cause of it? I mean, because bands here can take forever to make it. From what I've learned, it was because they were so different from what was happening. They were going back to well, basically the 60s. Uh, of course, most recognizable, the Velvet Underground, which they were oh. compared to a lot. As Steve tells in the movie, he wasn't hearing music around here that he liked and the music that he was hearing in his head. Once he met with Carl Pakoda, who was the first guitar player, and they were sitting around in his basement playing guitar, the music that they liked and that they were playing was just really simplistic one or two chord music and the music that was going on at the time was far from mm -hmm. two chord music just a, a 10 minute or even 20 minute jam of just guitars and from what i hear from the band that's their explanation where they rose to fame so quickly because there was no one nothing else that sounded like this around here Yet they did call it the 
like the Paisley Underground scene. Was he upset about being put into this kind of this genre? You know, this is a new up and coming L.A. scene, the, the, the Paisley Underground. Did he embrace that? Steve Wynn does. I believe some of the other Paisley Underground bands are still not that happy with the label. For example, uh, Dan Stewart, when I interviewed him from a singer from Green or Red, mm. he still calls it the Paisley Underwear. But Steve totally embraces it. Mm. You can see it when they're performing, usually he's wearing a Paisley shirt. <laughs> and I think it's a nice label, even though the bands were quite different kind of music they were playing. It was all inspired by music from the 60s. So why not give it a label? <laughs> and it sounds great, right? Basically uh, underground. But for everyone who's going to see the movie, maybe are surprised uh, since the term Paisley underground is not in the film. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for, <laughs> answering, for, the for answering my answer. next question. My next question was going to be that. <laughs> I asked this question to quite a few of the musicians who are in, in the film mm -hmm. one of the considerations to either put it in there or not put it in there because I, I didn't want to make the movie too long it's a 107 minute movie right mm -hmm. now and the Paisley Underground is just it's worth a movie in and of itself yeah. it was either just a very quick chapter in the movie or just not at all right now the movie is a nice chronological story following the story of the band over the years and somehow just putting the Paisley Underground story in there it, it just didn't feel right although it also felt a bit strange to not have it in there so it was a last minute decision that either do it or not well another time yeah. maybe another film but I but did you have anybody suggesting to you to include it to make it shorter to make it longer I actually did yeah in the last stage of the movie, for most part, except for, which I maybe should mention, um, my day job is working as a freelance cameraman and editor for European television stations. And I've directed and shot about hundreds of shorter TV segments from 2 to 15 minutes, but this is my first feature-length mm -hmm. film. So I really had to figure out how to keep a story interesting for more than 100 minutes. And I almost did everything myself except for a camera, sound and light mm -hmm. because I wanted to be the one interviewing everyone. So it was basically my day job just the other way around, just me sitting next to the camera instead of behind the camera. Uh, so I was, I was really learning along the way, which was sometimes quite a tough journey which worked really well until the last six months. I thought, there's a movie here, but I know I have some great material, but I want to make the best out of it. And I looked around if there was someone who was willing to help me, who had enough experience. And I call him our Dutch music documentary guru. Called, uh, he's called Bram van Splinteren. And he's made tons of television and music documentaries about all kinds of famous musicians and he agreed to look at the material i had and give advice about what would be the best approach mm. to finish this film so i was very hip happy he agreed to do this yeah we, we all need one of those in our lives yeah. <laughs> a yeah. guy who yeah is a guru who could, like yeah. a, you know a yoda yeah exactly <laughs> someone who got a lot of screen time is uh rolling stone writer david frick 
Yes. Did you read his reviews? Is that how you knew he was a huge, obviously a huge fan? Because he goes on and on about this band. <laughs> how did you I, get him? I knew it from Steve Wynn that he was a, a, oh, okay. a huge fan of the band, and Steve is friends with David. And when I just started this project, I knew from a lot of the music documentaries that I saw in the previous 10, 15 years that most of my favorite documentaries David Frick is in there (laughs) if I if I'm ever going to make a music documentary David should be in there (laughs) but it was on my first trip to the US for this film in 2013 it was really hard to get a hold of him he agreed he said when I have the time I definitely would like to be interviewed on camera but it just didn't work out so I was very happy last year and even though it was quite a struggle to make it happen because I wasn't allowed into the States myself, mm. and I'd finally set a date with him to interview, and in the end, it worked out. I was amazed when I got the the material, as I had no idea he was such a huge fan. <laughs> and even the first Dream Syndicate show in 1982, their first show in New York, he sneaked in his portable cassette recorder to record the show. Oh, well, he's just as crazy a music fan as myself, or even more. Yeah. That's and still, cool. after all those years, I just talked to Steve Wynn this last Saturday about him. and it, He's even amazed about it. Uh, he's been doing this work as a journalist for so long. And it just music never seems to get boring to him. Does he still have that tape? Did you get to listen to it? Uh, it's, it, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's still on cassette? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, a small piece in the movie. Oh, oh, really? Oh, so that was actually some of the, some yeah. of the actual... What, well, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. You said you have watched a lot of music documentaries. Do you have a favorite, a personal favorite? The one that I always mention is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Running Down a Dream, done by Peter Bogdanovich. Mm-hmm. It's a four-hour-long documentary. To, right, I was about to say, uh, well, <laughs> you, you could have done that with Dream Syndicate or <laughs> with Steve Wynn. When I started the Steve Wynn project, that's actually what I had in mind. Mm. Oh, dear. There's my four-hour subject. Mm. But making a four-hour-long movie yeah. is so much work. You definitely need a whole team and things that you run into because of uh, licensing things and copyrights. It's impossible to do this without having even more funding or a record company behind you. But this movie about Tom Petty, it's so good. I've talked about it with quite a lot of people and either someone says this this, is ridiculous. It's why should it be four hours? It's way too long. Every time I start watching it before I know it, four hours pass by. So I think it's, it's really well done. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to make it my own film, just a classic-style documentary. Mm-hmm. Some people say it's a bad word, talking heads, but it's the kind of music documentaries that I love watching myself. For example, the documentary about Oasis, Supersonic, or the recent documentary about mm-hmm. Eric Clapton. Not once in the whole movie you see him talking on screen. It's always his voice over with either archival footage or photos and i just stopped watching halfway i want to see someone telling his story mm-hmm. yeah that's why i decided to choose this format and that's for me it's just perfectly done in the, the tom petty movie steve's beginning was kind of sounds similar to yours you know it's just like all right i, I want to make a record and he makes a record <laughs> yeah like i want to make a film yeah. i'm gonna make a film about <laughs> your mom told me to make a film so i'm making this <laughs> film <laughs> 
That's really funny. That should be out there more, that it was his mom that pushed you to do it. I try to tell this story <laughs> yeah, wherever I can. Why isn't she on that's, camera, by the way? Why didn't you get her? <laughs> of course, that's what, that's what I thought about. I, <laughs> I talked about it with Steve. Uh, I, I should have your mom on camera, but he said, I, I prefer to just have Is that my right? musician friends <laughs> in there and no family. No, but that ain't right. I have to add to this story. Last Saturday at the, U at the LA screening, Steve's mom was there, and I told everyone how this started not far from here at the tubular and yeah everyone loves the story and his mom was very proud obviously that it actually happened it, it, yeah. it did yeah that's really sweet oh, amazing <laughs> i guess like the new what do you call it, just refurbished or whatever re revised edition of dream syndicate Redux. They, yeah it came from just kind of improv now yes uh when they were recording these times the second album of the reunited band on the last day of recording they invited Stephen McCarthy from the Long Riders over to the studio and they just started jamming there they ended up with this 70 or 90 minute jam and their producer he said well there's there actually could be songs in here Steve made it his project after this to see what he could do with this jam but it, it, it took quite a while before he came up with this idea to actually well make it what it what it ended up to be the universe inside uh, a 70 minute long piece of music mm -hmm. where he added some vocals some more spoken wordish vocals and together with Stephen McCarthy they added a lot of uh, instruments to the actual jam and it ended up to be this amazing psychedelic ride of an album <laughs> that your new favorite of uh, the Dream Syndicate? I like to listen to it every once in a while on headphones. Yeah. That definitely <laughs> works best. But my my new favorite from the band is just their, their first re album after the reunion. How did I find myself here? A prodigal son who could not go on How did I find
I really hope this music, this movie will also speak to just film enthusiasts in general. And mm -hmm. I, I know Dream Syndicate fans will love it, but I hope the, inter the story is interesting enough and that I did a well enough job to get people interested in the band who are not familiar yet with their music. Actually, I love the final words in the film. Yeah. The dream won't end. As soon as I heard that, like, oh, he's going to roll the credits now because that's yeah, the perfect yeah, ending. Uh, and sure enough, that's... Of course, that quote wasn't planned, but I heard it when I was spotting the footage. And yeah. Oh, this, this is the perfect ending. So, again, we can watch the movie on Amazon. It's available, it's available now, streaming on Amazon. Yes, Amazon. Still trying to get it on iTunes. And if you can't find it anywhere else, it's going to be on Vimeo, pay-per-view. Uh, I just want to make sure everyone will be able to see the movie. Well, they should, because it's really good. We, I loved it. It really is. Thank you. And I hope, I really hope that, that the word gets out about it. I hope so. Even yeah. after 40 years, I think the band still deserves to have a wider audience than mm -hmm. they have now. Mm -hmm. They have this group of really devoted fans in the United States and in Europe. Whenever you go to a Dream Syndicate show or before 2012, a Steve Wynn show, you'll always run into the same people. Even if in my own country, the Netherlands, Steve is playing three or four shows in the northern, the southern, the east, and the western part of the country. Usually it's the same people showing up. It's a very, very consistent fan base who just are interested in everything that he does. But I think his music is just so interesting. He deserves a wider audience, even though from what he's told me himself, he is very happy at the place where he is now. He can tour probably for the next 10 or 20 years and people are still showing up. It seems like he, he wants to. He enjoys touring. It's, you know, he's, he's of that mentality. It's like he's got to stay it's, on the road, keep moving. It's his little quote was, I'll probably be one of those uh, rocking <laughs> grandpas <laughs> going across the country still. His wife is a good uh, drummer, inspire, keep him going. Absolutely. She's one of my favorites. I love, I love Linda Pittman. I think she's amazing. I do. Yeah. I do. But not in the, the 80s. last 10 years, there was so much footage and so much great photographs. And I, I hope he's listening to your podcast. I have to uh, mention his name specifically, Mike Fickle. He provided me with a lot of the photos that he took from the band from the last 10 years. And they were so amazing that... I had to take one of his photos and use it for the cover of the film. Oh, nice. Yeah, it seems like it's all coming together. We got that, this, was it four CDs? Their debut the Days album? Days of Wine and Roses. Days the re-release. Yeah, I believe it's, it's four I think CDs. it's four CDs. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. crazy. I was just on his website and he's, you know, Steve's talking about everything that's going on in 2023. He's got, you know, new, his own new stuff. New baseball project. New baseball project. project coming. <laughs> if you were going to do another music documentary, who would it be? Well, it's punk, it's punk rock, but in a totally different way. I thought, I want to do this again. I love the process, but a bigger band. And a friend of mine, he's a re really huge fan of The Offspring. And I know these guys are crazy, and they did a, <laughs> that, a lot of crazy stuff back in the days. That would be an interesting one. Yeah. And I Googled it, and I thought, there's no documentary of them. No out there i hope it works out noodles I, is crazy so you'll be yes, you'll have yeah, a great time i, I, th I think so <laughs> even because of this just having uh dexter and noodles in front of the camera yeah 
Oh, they'd be, yeah. That, that would be worth a yeah. movie. That's a great, yeah. The, so, get to Epitaph. I'm in. Actually, okay. talk to one of their <laughs> So moms. if everyone... You're here. Is they're here. They live here. affiliated to the band. I've already sent a, a few emails to their management, but didn't hear back from them. But maybe someone who's friends with hey. someone who's related to the band. Please let me know. <laughs> I would love to. So we'll just tag them in every clip. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. This was great. Uh, thank, thank you for you. having me. Thanks for coming. Me. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for... Well, it was very nice to meet you in person. Yeah, for well, sure. We, that was a nice leap of faith, like traveling thousands of miles, and I'm going to go to this garage in Sherman Oaks, California, and just kind of <laughs> like a random place. So thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, we're very happy to have you here. So it's fun having a guest into our neighborhood, isn't it? It's so much fun. I love being able to look our guest in the eye, uh, not through a computer screen. Right. I never know, like through Zoom. I'm always staring, don't know whether to stare at the camera or at the picture and see how they're reacting to what I'm saying. And I just look like an idiot. Now I just talk like an idiot. <laughs> you never look like an idiot. <laughs> you never look like you're looking off into space. <laughs> Right. Now, so now we, we don't get to look him in the eye. We got to look Emil Spolder in the eye and talk about his documentary. That's right. We did it uh, Larry David style. We stared at him to make sure he was telling the truth. And it looks like he, he tells a good story. I believe everything he told me. <laughs> I do too. It was great stories. A lot of fun to hear how a music documentary comes together. Holly and I were lucky enough to catch a, a screening of this movie and it's well worth your time. We love it. It's available on Amazon. I mean, even if you don't remember the Dream Syndicate, just a great reminder of, uh, of, a, of a great band that, that was signed to a major label and that just didn't quite hit, but still has a loyal following. And that's the reason this movie was made, because there are still a lot of people that are Dream Syndicate fans. Yeah, stories to be told. And can we say the term Paisley Underground, since we didn't say it anywhere here? I know he doesn't say it in the movie, but it, this is the... This is the vibe of the music it's paisley underground yeah it's a, a great scene and steve Wynn is still an amazing uh, artist and worth checking out whenever he comes to town no matter what band he's in we're big fans over here did we mention social media well even if we did it's worth mentioning again okay so please holly how do they find us on social media i love when you ask me that question dave because I love telling our listeners you can find us on social media at WDDIM Podcast and at What Difference Does It Make Podcast on YouTube so you can see what Emil looks like. Nice. I love looking at what Holly looks like. I'm like eyeballing her right now as she's saying this. It's so exciting. We can practically touch each other. Oh, it's crazy, but the table's too far apart. But new episodes every Friday, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us at WDDIMpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter. There's always something new and exciting there. Did I cover it all, Holly? Can I just say thank you to Pantheon Podcast? You just did. So, yes. <laughs> I didn't have to ask you, did I? No, I could have just done that. Yes. Well, nicely done. Congratulations. <laughs> all right. So, well, until uh, next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 